Live from Miami, Florida, thefoodie.com presents WTF, Where's the Food? With your host, Nick. Yes, and we are back. Episode number six. What's going on? It is Nick, and welcome to WTF, Where's the Food? Of course, again, my name is Nick. Thank you so, so much for listening and subscribing and downloading. I truly appreciate it. This is episode number six. Of course, you can follow along on all social media at The Foodie, T-H-E-F-O-O-D-E, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are there for you. On this week's show, we got Dan Delaney. He was nominated for a James Beard Award back in 2014 for American Restaurateur. We'll talk to him about that and how that's changed his life. Also about his former video podcast called Street Food. And if Delaney Barbecue will be coming back anytime soon. And all about his chicken restaurant in New York called Delaney Chicken. We're also going to talk to Kimya from Kimya's Cravings. Find out about her blog, some of her favorite spots to go to in New York City. Also, if she had one superpower, what would it be? And we'll find out if she has any tips on someone starting a blog. She has a great tip, actually. So we'll find out from her a little later on the show. And then we're going to be joined by Fred Parent, who is the Hendrix Gin brand ambassador. We'll talk to him about what makes Hendrix Gin so great. He'll teach me some great new fall cocktails you can make at home with Hendrix Gin. And we'll also find out about the Hendrix Gin Grand Garnisher coming to Miami in December. Plus, got some food news on McDonald's, Pizza Hut, and there is now, ladies and gentlemen, a $24 cup of coffee. And it exists. And I'm going to tell you all about it. Plus, the food porn of the week coming to you this week. From Fat Girl Hedonist. So all this and so much more on episode number six of WTF Where's the Food. What do you say? Let's jump right in to episode number six with my conversation with Dan Delaney. So this guy has a James Beard Award nomination. His name is Dan Delaney. Dan, what's going on? Hey, how are you? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm okay. I'm sitting, uh, I'm looking right now at a travel lodge, and I'm parked in a Waffle House <laughs> parking lot right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So are you going to get some uh, oh, some waffles? I, I, You know what? I don't have, I feel like there are people that are seasoned professionals at the Waffle House, and that's not me. I'm, I'm, I've only been to one twice in my life, uh, so I, I don't have the skill set, but I guess you have to order, I mean... I guess I have to at least order one waffle when I go in. I guess. I mean, I'm, I've been there once, but everybody tells me you got to get the the waffle with the with the with the what do you call this? The chocolate chips. Uh, that's what they're known for. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like a like a like a like a loser looking on Yelp <laughs> when I go into a waffle. House. <laughs> I can just picture. So let me see where I'm gonna eat for dinner tonight. Let me look up Yelp and see what's good at the Waffle House. Right. Right. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I decided this morning, I woke up and I decided that I would drive out to Wyoming uh, today, and so, from New York. How so come? I'm, well, my very, very best friend, actually, he started one of the restaurants with me. Uh, he just moved out there to do his graduate program in writing, and so I uh, miss him, and I wanted to go out and just see the land snowing out there. Oh, wow. And just hang out for the weekend, yeah. So you got snow out in Wyoming, and you got almost 100-degree weather down here in Miami. Insane. Insane. Crazy. So, Dan, um, for people that don't know you, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, to kind of go, like, in reverse chronology, right now I own a fried chicken sandwich shop, which is in New York City, which is called Delaney Chicken. Which which we'll talk about. Uh, 
Which, yeah, and but before that, I had a barbecue place called Delaney Barbecue, which and these two are like the things that I've done as an operator in the food space. Uh, but then before that, I kind of did a bunch of different things. I, I hosted supper clubs. I ran like email newsletters about food. I did. Uh, I produced video and video content about food. Um, I had two podcasts for a while. Um, you know, I, I've done a bunch of different things in the food space before finally opening up the the restaurants. Uh, and that's. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the synopsis. I mean, and let's you're leaving out uh, a very important part that you were nominated for a James uh, Beard Award. Yeah, well, the barbecue restaurant when it, I, I mean, that was very unexpected. The, the barbecue restaurant opened up in uh, 2012, and we were lucky to receive a lot of very high praise uh, write-ups in the New York Times, and you know, on all of these lists, and and then personally through that got nominated for the for the James Beard Award and also for the Gas 30 Under 30 Awards. So the, the, it was great to... I mean, I remember sitting in my house and, like, all of a sudden I got this... I, I, did, I wasn't even tuned in to the, to the James Beard Award. Yeah, it's in the back um, of your mind. You're not even thinking about it. No, and I, all of a sudden my phone blows up and I'm getting, like, just, like, congratulations, congratulations <laughs> from all these people. And I had no clue what anybody was talking about. Um... And then I and then I learned, but again, it was just like completely unexpected. And did did like the life your life change or the restaurant like just started becoming more popular after that nomination? Well, I think that actually the restaurant, if, if we were to be very technical, I think that the restaurant actually will become became popular whenever there was some sort of local write up, and that actually had more impact than anything else because you know everyday Joe is not tuning into the James Beard Awards. Correct. So uh, that's food they nerds. are turning in. Yeah. Where it did help a lot is sort of in establishing credibility as I moved forward, as I tried to do fundraising for more restaurants, as I, you know, as I went to try and uh, seek publicity or media. So it becomes, it becomes a, a, a factor that adds credibility as I go out to talk about what I'm doing for, really for business purposes. And, and now as I'm looking to expand, being able to say, you know, a James Beard Award nominated restaurant or food, whatever, uh, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I think that that's actually where, and, and it's one of these things where it's like, you know, in a sense, winning or not winning. Um, you, you win sort of. the nomination or winning. You're, you really are because it, because like, if you're if you're an Academy Award nominated actor, you're st- you're always that. Correct. Uh, like they advertise you in the movies as Academy Award winner or nominated actor actress. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So in that sense, it's it's proven to be pretty helpful. And I know you had to shut down the barbecue shop right earlier this year. Yeah we we had it open for a while. We ultimately had to close it. the 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 reasons for the closure were a lot, but the the sort of the easiest one to sort of wrap everyone's head around was simply the fact that the lease was coming to an end, the building was going to be knocked down. Um, and so, I mean, there are other reasons why it made sense to close it, but the the easiest, uh, I think, to comprehend is just that uh, we didn't have space. And, and the reason that I didn't ultimately move it to a new location is that the, you know, I found that it was actually easier to focus on one thing 
in this case, the chicken place, mm-hmm. uh, and and really just work to make that great. That has the DNA of something that's more replicatable. So uh, it just it also just made sense to uh, focus on the thing that I, I enjoy equally, but has more economic viability as as something that is expandable um, and replicatable. So do you see Delaney Chicken going worldwide or nationwide one day? Well, I certainly would love love to open up more locations. Uh, I, you know, recognize that the quality of anything that's replicated uh, is no different from, from the quality of any restaurant in that you're only as good as the last thing that you serve. So I think that when you're looking at expanding a restaurant and building more and more outlets of it, uh, what's really important is to make sure that you have systems in place so that everything is very consistent. But I like to see it expand nationally or internationally. Yeah, totally. Um, but if it, but if it, if if we find that we can only expand, you know, within a 600 mile radius of New York City mm-hmm. in order to keep the quality up, then I'd rather I'd rather have that, especially with my name on it, than uh, than let it suffer in in quality. Uh, for larger expansion. 100%. So now someone who's listening in the New York City area and has never checked out Delaney Chicken, how would you describe it to them? Well, I mean, we have a very small menu. I think, I mean, I I like to think about it sort of as like the uh, Five Guys or In-N-Out Burger of fried chicken sandwiches. Now we're talking. Now Um, we're talking. Yeah, it's very small, very simple menu. We have three sandwiches on the menu. We make lemonade and iced tea, and we have chips. And that's really the whole menu. It's really teeny. Wow. Um, we're, we'll slowly add one or two other things, but I don't expect that to expand much much larger, which is very much like Five Guys. Like, they have burgers, and I guess they have a hot dog. And, and they fries. Have, uh, <laughs> and fries, and that's it. Yeah, and so if I could expand that way and be that of chicken sandwiches, um I would love to. It, it, again, it certainly has much less of a uh, comprehensive menu than a place like Chick-fil-A or, um, or Shake Shack or any of the other multi-outlet restaurants that have a, a fried chicken sandwich on the menu. So do you think that when you establish Delaney Chicken, not that it's established, but you kind of grow it and you expand and you test it out, will you bring back the barbecue spot? Different location or maybe a pop-up somewhere? You know, uh, it's something that I would love to visit again at some point in my life. I really like what we did with the barbecue restaurant. If I revisited it, it would be done very, very differently than it was done before. Uh, so, yeah, it's something that I would love to visit again. I don't see that happening until, you know, I've really grown and established, maybe even sold the chicken business. I don't know. Uh and and then had the time to apply, you know, much more clear focus toward the growth and development of a barbecue place. But I also don't know that having now operated a business designed to be a multi-outlet business, I don't know that I would want to revisit the barbecue concept unless I could also figure out how to uh, make it an, a multi-outlet business, uh, at least in, in its operational principles. No, of course. Now, um, before you did the restaurant thing, you had a uh, video series, right? A web video series called Vendor TV. Tell us about that. 
Well, I had I had um, I had two video series that I launched, three that I altogether that I or four that I tried to produce, but two of them didn't really go anywhere. So I guess it, it was a total of four times at trying to create video content. Uh, the first was uh, the first was that I, I tried in college to do a podcast, which was called Cooking with Padres, and it was a kind of like cooking with friends, but oriented towards dorm room cooking where you only might have like a hot plate and you could steal like ketchup packets and stuff from the local restaurant. And, and it was, it just didn't go anywhere. And then the first show that I made really had some, uh, stick-to-itiveness and, and also some positive reception was called Vendor TV. And, uh, I did a thesis in college on mobile food carts and food vending so it was something that I, I like learned a lot about strangely while I was graduating. And then after school, I wasn't entirely sure what I would do, but I had all this knowledge of uh, the street food industry across the country. Mm-hmm. And I got a sense that it was just, it was starting to blossom. And I also had a lot of friends that had access to technology, cameras and free time. And so I pitched a few friends and I said, Hey, you know, I've, I have this idea for a show. I wanted to look kind of like something on the Food Network, but be about food trucks. And at the time, food trucks were, again, just starting to get some momentum. So mm-hmm. there really wasn't any content about it. Yeah. And so we filmed our first episode um, and edited it, and it just it was horrible. And then we did <laughs> another one, it was horrible. And then, like, over time, we started to build some rhythm and, and, and kind of like a structure for the show. We put it up originally on iTunes because YouTube wasn't really the platform that it is today. Yeah. So, so it was an, a video podcast on iTunes and we were, we started to like pick up momentum. It was often in like the top five, you know, uh, video, um, the top five food shows on, on you on uh, iTunes and occasionally was like the banner of the main podcast directory in iTunes. And we've got a lot of viewership from it. That's and then awesome. we were pro- approached by a company that, helps to produce video content and they helped us to secure funding for the show and to keep it going. And then, and, and when that happened, we then started to set out to do these legs where we filmed, you know, we were filming everywhere from Maine to Miami and, and across the country. And I guess it's ultimately indirectly through that, that I um, got connected with you. Yeah. So just some background, you did an episode uh, in Miami with Burger Beast at the Yellow Submarine food truck where he told me to mention that he killed you in a hot dog eating competition. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't think that's not the hardest thing to imagine in the world. That has an appetite. But, uh, yeah, he did. He did. Um, I actually think that for a moment I, I like, I had like three minutes of falling in love with the, uh, sister of the owner of the, of that food cart. Uh, <laughs> that passed but yeah anyway um yeah and then and then so i did that show for a while and then i and then i kind of got like burnt out of doing that and then um with my girlfriend at the time we started to put together the the like concepts for doing another food podcast which was going to be called the hungry peddler and we filmed the show we 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 flew up to the top of the state of Maine, and then we rode bicycles down along the coast to the to the bottom, the 
concept for the show is that each season would be exploring another state, another state's indigenous food, but through the eyes of, of a bicycle. Oh, wow. And we filmed this show, and it never got out of the editing room. Uh, it's just like the we had, we like tried to film it with equipment that was too uh, robust and the, the footage got all messed up and it wasn't, it wasn't good. But then I actually started a show called What's This Food, which is a very similar title to your podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and in that case, I produced a video episode every day for a year. Um, and those were all about unusual ingredients and how to cook with them. And that still is online today. So you did the TV thing. So how kind of did you come to the decision that you want to open a restaurant? Well, when I was filming Vendor TV, um, I was traveling the country and I was, uh, you know, spending time in Louisiana, spending time in, in Texas and actually living in those states for, you know, I did like, I lived in New Orleans for about six months and uh, in, in Austin for a cumulative six months. And I kind of just like dug a number of elements of the food scene there. And I was trying barbecue down there and I had, I just didn't, I hadn't tried anything that was remotely close to what I've had in, uh, what, what existed up north in, in New York. And when I started to do Vendor TV, I said, well, there's no reason that we can't produce a show that's of the food network quality. We're just like, let's just make it look that good. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, why can't we produce barbecue that tastes this good in New York where I live? And having done the show What's This Food, I had been writing recipes every day and like learning how to create recipes and really how to cook. So I, I kind of felt like I was up to the challenge of learning to make really good barbecue. And so I bought a smoker and then a bigger smoker and a bigger one. And finally, when I was down in Texas, I got my hands on a huge smoker, like a 18 or 20 foot offset barbecue smoker. And I pulled it up to... Uh, New York City with a with a U-Haul truck full of wood, um, and then decided that I would set out on making good barbecue and just you know the thing is it was very hard like the folks that own barbecue restaurants are not very receptive to letting people into their kitchens. Uh, Correct, it's like all that trade trade secrets. But mm-hmm. so the way that I figured out how to do it was just kind of saying, well, I'm going to set up some parameters. I'm going to people say like, you know, you don't need anything but salt and pepper. You don't. The best places don't need barbecue sauce. Uh, you know, the best places only use this type of wood. So I kind of just put these parameters up, saying, okay, well, we're only going to use this seasoning. We're only going to use this and that, and by creating all these constraints around what I was doing, it kind of limited what knobs that I could turn, like what variables that I could adjust. And I got to this point where I was just like, okay, well then really the only things that I can adjust are like what type of meat I buy and like what type of salt I use or how coarse that pepper is going to be and how liberally I apply it. And then like what temperatures I'm cooking, you know, the meat for and if I wrap it, but the variables became smaller and smaller. And so in the sense, you, I started to think more abstractly about this and ultimately got to a recipe for brisket that I think that like when produced accurately is truly some of the best that I've had in my life. Um, 
it's now rare that I go to a barbecue place and I try their brisket and I think, I, and I feel longingly that I wish that we could be at that caliber. That that barely happens at this point. Um, and and I think it's just because of like how much energy we put into revising and revising the formula and the recipe and the technique. Now, when you come down um, to Miami, if you have been in a while, what are some spots you like to go to? Well, I think that, you know, I've only been to Miami about three or four times, and I didn't, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I, I didn't <laughs> really enjoy my time over by South Beach. What I really enjoyed were was exploring the Cuban neighborhood or the Cuban neighborhoods in Miami. Um, I'd love to be able to do that more. Uh, I would love to be able to go back to, uh, I think it's El Rey and have a frita cubana. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rey de las fritas. Yeah, super delicious. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed visiting the uh, Palacio de los Hugos. The oh, Duke okay. Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a really exciting experience sitting out there. And uh, I think at the time they were, like, making chicharron, uh-huh. which was wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that had I... It, on a visit back, it would be to have more time to explore, um, <laughs> the, like heritage places in in uh, Miami, which are usually the things that are most exciting to me. Whatever is, I, I try and stay away from the new places and try and find the old places. Yeah, I mean South Beach is touristy. It's just like any other city that they have a tourist area. So I can understand why yeah. you're not a huge fan of it. So um, could we see something from you? Maybe the chicken shop barbecue in Miami in the next few years. Yeah, I would love it. I, I really think that the chicken place would do well in Miami. Um, we're, you know, in the process right now of building a new location and finding additional uh, new locations that we can uh, build in. We're going through fundraising, and, you know, I'm expecting that our growth pattern will be that we radiate out from New York. Uh, but But I think that, you know, operating in a city like Miami would be, uh, would be great for us, and I think that folks would really like it. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking some time out. Truly appreciate it. We welcome you back to Miami with open arms and up for another hot dog challenge uh, when you come back down. I'm down. That sounds <laughs> great. Thank you for having me. Thanks, brother. Big thank you to Dan Delaney for coming on the show. Truly appreciate it. And if you're in the New York City area, make sure you go check out Delaney Chicken. So how about we do some food news? So for years now, Pizza Hut has always been America's largest pizza chain. Well, now Domino's is getting ready to pass them and become the leader. Now, Domino's rise has been attributed to its technology options, everything from apps, Amazon Echo devices, TVs, even cars. And Domino's has also seen an increase in on-site pickups thanks to the remodeling of their brick-and-mortar stores. So it looks like it's officially time for Pizza Hut to start playing catch-up. Now, a McDonald's store in Singapore just installed 100 phone lockers as it's trying to implement a phone-off, fun-on policy at this location. As crazy as it sounds, McDonald's wants to live in a world where you put your phone away and enjoy your food without snapping photos of it first, which I am totally not cool with. So McDonald's said it might be possible to expand the lockers to other stores, but right now it's only testing it at the Singapore location. And Starbucks is at it again, ladies and gentlemen. Starbucks is introducing a new Frappuccino called the Zombie Frappuccino. The new Frapp will consist of a creme Frappuccino syrup base, 
pink mocha drizzle, green caramel apple powder, pink powder, and pink brains whipped cream. This will be available October 26th through Halloween. And you ready to know, baristas everywhere are so dreading this. And ladies and gentlemen... We now have a $24 cup of coffee. That's right. 11 Madison Park, which just reopened after a revamp, now sells a cup of coffee. Forget this, $24, people. The restaurant's coffee director spends about 10 minutes preparing one cup of coffee using rare high-end beans and fancy machines. So, uh, if you, I mean, I, I want to try it, so make sure you try Head to 11 Madison Park. And Mr. 305, Mr. Worldwide Pitbull, is opening a restaurant in South Beach. The restaurant will be called I Love 305 inside the former Bon Air Hotel on Ocean Drive. It will be a full-service restaurant and bar and will feature a cocktail lounge in the lobby as well as a daiquiri bar and so much more. So make sure you look out for that. And that's all the food news. Of course, you can follow along and get all the news on the website right now, thefoodie.com, T-H-E-F-O-O-D-E.com. And how about a word from one of our sponsors, The Yielding Seed? So there's this really amazing meal delivery service I need to tell you guys about. It's called The Yielding Seed. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they do it all and do it all well. No need to go to the grocery store and buy ingredients to make your food. They bring the meals to you so you can spend more time doing the things you want to do and less time trying to meal plan. I can tell you from personal experience, it is the best tasting meal delivery service in the Miami area. And you can sign up for the traditional plan or the paleo plan because there's something for everyone. The Yielding Seed takes great pride in providing chef-prepared, freshly made meals each and every day for each and every one of their clients. You want to have the Yielding Seed, so what are you waiting for? And sign up today at theyieldingseed.com. You'll thank me later. And now we're going to talk to a good friend of mine, Kimya, from Kimya's Cravings. We're going to find out all about her blog, some of her favorite spots to go to in New York City. We're also going to find out uh, if she has any advice for someone looking to start their own blog. So let's jump into my conversation with Kimya from Kimya's Cravings. On the line right now, Kimya from Kimya's Cravings. What's going on? Tell the listeners about yourself and kind of how you started the whole blog thing. Yeah, so my name is Kia. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Kia's Cravings with a K. Um, alliteration is my favorite literary device. And you can learn more at KiaScravings.com. Um, it's essentially your ultimate go-to guide for where to eat, drink, be merry. Um, features a lot of my favorite products, restaurants, travel spots, um, and just sharing my experiences with my readers. And how'd you get started on the whole blog thing? Oh, it's actually really funny and kind of a long story, but um, I will shorten it as much as I can. Um, here's the sports science version. Um, it honestly traced back all the way from my very first internship, like four or five years ago. I was interning at this boutique PR agency called Melrose PR, and I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do before I entered college. And I was interning at this PR agency, and my boss, her name was Kelly. She, one day, she took me out to lunch with her friend, who at the time was writing for Us Weekly. Back then, I wanted to be a celebrity reporter. I was in awe. I was like, oh, my God, this woman has interviewed all the A-listers. So her name was Kat, and I was at lunch with Kelly and Kat, and I was asking Kat about how she got into celebrity reporting. But then at the time, she was thinking of um, pursuing something else, so then, fast forward, after college, I had my first corporate job, and one day, I stumbled upon Kat's profile, 
And I saw that she had moved to SF and she was writing for this food and travel publication called TheDailyMeal.com. And with my corporate job, I knew I'd pursue something else on the side. So I reached out to Kat and sent her a message, a long time to talk or see something. And um, I essentially, right off the bat, asked her, like, hey, can I contribute to The Daily Meal as well? I love food. I love traveling. I would love, and I love writing. So um, she connected me to the editor and the chief at the time, who was Chelsea. And so from there, um, I would be invited to a bunch of cool restaurants and different events. And one day, um, it's actually really funny because Chelsea had ordered me this pitch who, um, where it had come from this woman named Kelly. And I was like, oh, like, in my head, I was like, I wonder if this is my old boss from my first internship. And I scrolled down and it says, Kelly, founder of Melrose PR. And I was like, no way. So then that all came into full circle. So I was contributing to the food and travel website, which enabled me to create content. And at that same time, I had a friend who reached out to me and she said, Kimu, I'm so surprised you haven't started a food blog. Um, you've always been into taking pictures of your food and sharing your experiences with people. And why don't you just create an Instagram around that? So then that's when I had a light bulb moment. And at the time, I had my own personal account. But I had already grown some kind of a following at that time. I had, mm-hmm. I'd say, about 1,800. So I was like, oh, let me just convert this into my own page. And I had brainstormed some cute little witty names I had the most random things. I still have the little list in my phone, like the Hungry Heart, Feels Feels. And then my cousin recommended, oh, what about Kimi's Cravings? Like, what if one day you want to delve off from food and branch into other niches as well? So then that's when the Kimi Cravings came along and it just stuck ever since. And I just kept posting pictures about my food and the events I would go to. And then I was doing it so consistently that honestly have led me to where I am today. That's incredible. So I didn't even have Kimia's craving first. It could have been something else. Exactly. That's the funny part. I can even send you my list of little my brainstorm names. So. <laughs> now you lived in, in California area and you made the big move earlier this year, I believe, to, to New York. Why why the change? It's actually funny because New York has always been on my vision board from the past, like, I hate to even say this, from a decade ago. Um, it's always been on my vision board. I had visited New York for the first time with my family about 10 years ago, and I fell in love with the city. I loved the energy, and I could just, I was able to see myself there down the line, whether that was when I was 40 or 25 or whatever it was. And um, it just has such an eclectic scene with food, and it's just media capital of the world, essentially. So I always see myself here at one point. And now you've kind of combined the whole food and travel lifestyle thing into one blog. So you've been traveling a lot more. What has been your favorite city so far? Oh, that's a tough question. I've been to so many places just these last few months, but I would have to stay off the top of my list. Um, I love Hawaii. It's just so scenic, so serene. Um, the water's so blue. The greenery is so green. I don't know that that sounds, but it's just, honestly, there's no place that compares to the beauty of Hawaii. Um, I've went to Boston not too long ago. You mean not, um, not Miami? <laughs> I did visit Miami a few months back, and it was really fun too. So I don't know if that's a tough question, but I feel like Miami's kind of a mix of Vegas meets um, like LA. It's kind of you know has the best of both worlds with the beach and the nightlife. But Miami looks so cute. It's beautiful. <laughs> now, New York, you know, there's just every kind of food out there. You know, anything you think of, it's in New York. Do you have any favorite restaurants so far for the time you've been there? Ooh, totally. I 
really like Serafino. They have an awesome Italian food, and the ambiance is on point. I also recently um, went to this Greek restaurant in the West Village called Nisi, N-I-S-I, and oh my God, I was in love with the interior and the overall experience and the atmosphere and the staff was super friendly. So off the top of my head, those are some of my top six. Now, random question here. If you had to pick a superpower, one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, um, the ability to read minds. Um, ironically, in the same age where we're bombarded with so many different forms of communication, I feel like uh, there's always still um, some kind of misunderstanding or um, tonality is not really expressed the right way. So it would be nice to be able to read people's minds and know what they're thinking. Sometimes we'll do something and like, their actions show another. So it'd be nice to just read people's minds in mind. Now, if for anybody trying to start a blog, you know, it's so so congested, but you can still start something if you got something original. Do you have like that one tip that you think that helped you get through it and help you start? Oh, it's funny because I um before I really got started, I reached out to so many other bloggers and so if I could consolidate all their information, the most common piece of advice that I had received was to stay consistent. Um there could be someone who doesn't create as great content as you do, but because they're so consistent, that's what's keeping them ahead of the game. So if you're not posting constantly or if you have if you don't have some kind of routine or schedule set, someone's going to be easy to change. Well, Kimia, thank you so much for taking some time out. Truly appreciate it. Tell people how they should follow you and why they should follow you. Totally. Um, so my Instagram handle is Kimia's Cravings with a K, and my blog is KimiasCravings.com. And you should follow me because I have really awesome tips and uh a big thank you to Kimya from Kimya's Cravings. Make sure you follow her Kimya's Cravings on Instagram or Kimya's Craving.com. And now it's time for the food porn of the week. This week comes from my girl, Fat Girl Hedonist. This burger she posted looks insane. Now she created this burger in partnership with Food Beast and Paps Blue Ribbon Beer. I mean, this is just incredible. I don't even know how they thought of this. It's called the Juicy Lucy Pizza Burger. She uses pizza slices for buns, and it's a mozzarella-stuffed burger topped with more mozzarella cheese, beer-braised Italian sausage, onions, tomatoes, basil. Holy crap, man. This is mouth-watering. It's incredible. I need to make this. And lucky for you, the recipe is on the blog right now, thefoodie.com, T-H-E-F-O-O-D-E.com. And, of course, you can see it for yourself on the Instagram right now, at thefoodie, T-H-E. F-O-O-D-E. And of course, follow my friend Fat Girl Hedonist at Fat Girl Hedonist. Thank you for the food porn of the week. And you know, last week was International Gin and Tonic Day. So we're going to talk to my friend Fred Parent, who's the Hendrix Gin Ambassador. We're going to talk to him about what makes Hendrix so great. He'll teach me some great new fall cocktails you can make at home with Hendrix Gin. And of course, we'll find out all about the Hendrix Gin Grand Garden Shirt coming to Miami in December. So let's jump into my conversation with Fred Parent, who is the Hendrix Gin Brand Ambassador. I mean, I would say he has a pretty cool job. On the line right now, a good friend of mine, Fred Parent, the Hendrix Gin brand ambassador. Fred, what's going on? Nick, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm just uh, enjoying a beautiful day on the East Coast, enjoying a gin and tonic. Actually. Yes, let's remember, yeah. we're, we are recording this on Thursday, which is International Gin and Tonic Day. So happy International Gin yeah. and Tonic Day. And to you, good sir. I appreciate it. Um, it's been a lovely one so far. So what makes a great gin and tonic besides the great Hendrix gin to you? 
Well, that's obviously the best start. Uh, I like to do mine in like a nice goblet or like a, like a large glass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can put some ice in it and, uh, just a premium tonic. You can, I I've been ranging everything from, um, a Mediterranean tonic that I really like to use. Um, but really just a premium tonic. It goes great with the premium gin. Um, and cucumber of course is, uh, is my favorite garnish. Now y- your title is Hendrix gin brand ambassador. It's kind of like the best job in the world yeah. in a sense. What, what does that entail exactly? I've been told that I've been told <laughs> that I think that I, I have the running. I mean, you have a pretty sweet job yourself, I mean, um, but uh, I, I think I'm in the running for a pretty cool gig. Yeah, um, I do get to, to, talk about gin and I do a lot of gin education. I work with a lot of bartenders and mixologists all over uh, the country, um, really trying to push things forward in the category of gin. Um, and definitely I get to consume some gin as well, like I am today, which is uh, really nice to get on the back end of it. And how'd you kind of fall into this job? How'd you become the Hendrix Gin brand ambassador? I got to say, I didn't know about this job until it was my job, if that doesn't sound crazy. <laughs> But um, I was bartending in New York. I lived in, I grew up in North Carolina, but um, I kind of cut my teeth as a bartender in New York, kind of working all over Manhattan and uh, Brooklyn. And uh, I lived in Harlem and I just started really working uptown and Hendrix Gin was looking to do some things uptown and it was just, you know, great, right time, right place. Um, And we were really able to do some amazing stuff there, which then led me to um, being able to work nationally for Hendrix. Um, So I was in the Midwest, I was in Chicago. Uh, for about a year and then came back to the East Coast, which brought me back to Miami, which I'm really excited about. I'll be down that, that, a lot. That's incredible. So months. do you have yeah. a favorite uh, Hendrix gin cocktail besides oh, the gin man. and tonic? That's, that's like picking your favorite kid, you know? It's like, <laughs> that's tough. That's always tough, right? Um, I do have a particular gin and tonic that I love um, that I do with Hendrix Mediterranean tonic. Um, and then I do like a sprig of rosemary and a couple of blackberries with the cucumber. Definitely add the cucumber still. Um, but yeah, it's like it's, the beauty of the gin and tonic is it's such a versatile drink. You know, you can have, you know, something simple with just some citrus or with Hendrix because it's made with cucumber and rose. I love to add fresh cucumber to it or even a spritz of rose water over the top. Um, when you add some herbs like basil or rosemary or even sage sometimes, um, and I like to balance that with berries or citrus or cucumber or another melon like watermelon. Um, just adding those things to a simple one-in-one drink, like a gin and tonic, can really like kind of wake it up and make it a lot of fun for a party too. That's what I'm talking about. And you know, it's fall yeah. season. You know, winter's coming up. Even though that doesn't exist down here in Miami, but what are some? Uh... I always thought that was funny, but it's still <laughs> nice to have the fall flavors, right? Like yes. I'm sure the Starbucks is still doing the pumpkin spice. Oh, of course, so and they have now ma- maple pecan latte. <laughs> like they do the fall, like kind of. Fall. Oh, there we go. So, so we're still bringing the fall flavors. Yes. So that's good. But what sure. what kind of fall um, flavors can we do? Like fall cocktails with a yeah. Henderson? I mean, for me, whenever I start building cocktails, I always like to make new ones each each fall. It's one of my favorite seasons. But this particular, these two particular punches that I that seem to come back every year, uh, one's called the Fall All Over. And really, it's, uh, it's about four parts gin, uh, four parts hot apple cider or hot apple cider tea, um, two parts cloudy apple juice, uh, two parts fresh lemon juice, and then a little bit of simple syrup to taste, but maybe like one part simple syrup. And uh, if you really want to do it right, you, do, you could use uh, ginger syrup to add some like a, that, that spice to it. Um, you just build that in a punch bowl. You can make that hot or cold. If you do it cold, just use the cloudy apple juice. But basically, it's like fall flavor. You get um, apple. You get all the botanicals in the gin. You get some fresh citrus in there to wake it up um, and some ginger kind of to bring it all together. So that's one of my personal favorites. Um, Also, I have one that I do with pear called the unusual pear. 
um, which is really just um, some some pear puree or pear juice with basil, fresh lime juice, and Hendrix gin, usually served cold, or you can make it as a punch. But it really kind of wakes up those fall flavors that I really like to kind of revisit. I mean, it sounds like I'm going to have to make some Hendrix gin cocktails tonight. That's what I'm talking about. I like it. I, I'll definitely follow up. I'll send you some of these recipes so you just have them, have yes. them for yourself. So you I can share with everybody. Everybody listening is going to want to want to make these. And, and come December, Hendrix gin <clears throat> is bringing down the Grand Garnisher. Tell, tell me about that. Yes. Um, so the Grand Garnisher is making its way across the country. Um, one of the last stops is actually going to be uh, during Art Basel. Um, and we're going to be bringing it all around Miami and probably Wynwood and some other parts of the city um, to just kind of enjoy it. And we'll be doing some other parties that I still don't have all the details on, uh, but we'll be doing some other parties throughout the week that is going to coincide with that as well, um, including one party called the Turtleneck Club which I can't tell you everything about, which you'll definitely be invited to. <laughs> thank you, thank um, It's going to be really, really awesome. So the Grand Garnisher is essentially a stagecoach built by Hendrix that garnishes cucumbers powered by a man riding a, pin- a penny farthing bike. Um, so it, it really is a fun thing to enjoy, but it also garnishes your cocktails. So there will be some parties that we're going to actually be garnishing the drinks um, from the Garnisher. That's incredible. Really cool. Well, we look forward yeah. to that. Fred, thank you so much for Absolutely. taking some time out. Continue to enjoy your gin thanks and tonic, and uh, we'll Absolutely. see you in December. Cheers. Well, thanks a lot for having me on. Look forward to talking again. A big thank you to Fred Parent, the Hendrix Gin brand ambassador, for coming on the show. Of course, we got the recipes for you on the blog right now, thefoodie.com, T-H-E-F-O-O-D-E.com. And that wraps up episode number six. Wow, number six already. Thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing and downloading. Of course, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. We are here. Make sure you subscribe. And on iTunes, please leave us a review and give us some stars. You know, five stars, that would be phenomenal. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the Foodie, T-H-E-F-O-O-D-E. Of course, you can find food porn on the Instagram as well. And, of course, you can check out everything on the blog, thefoodie.com, T-H-E-F-O-O-D-E.com. And WTF is part of the Vibe Media Podcast Network. This wraps up episode number six. Thank you again for listening. This is WTF Where's the Food. My name is Nick, and of course, always remember to hashtag never stop eating.